0: Hello and welcome to this week's Hong Kong Heritage. Last week, we heard from China analyst Mark O'Neill, who was talking about the Chinese Labour Corps who went to France in the First World War. And you can read more on that in his book, The Chinese Labour Corps, The Forgotten Chinese Labourers of the First World War. This week, Mark tells me about the 200,000 Chinese who went to Russia and entered into chaos and harsh conditions.
1: I've been working in China for nearly 30 years, And I have to say, I never heard about this until I started to work on the uh, Chinese Labour Corps story, and I came across material, and I learned to my astonishment that more than 200,000 had gone to Russia at the same time. And I asked Penguin if they'd take another book, and fortunately they did. And I can tell, tell them that it certainly merits it, because the story of those who went to Russia is more dramatic than the ones who went to France, because... Their recruitment was not done with the same discipline as those who went to France, and nor was it done with the government. So they were hired by individual companies, middlemen, recruiters. They signed contracts, or some of them didn't sign contracts, and off they went to Russia, and then they were put to work there. So they didn't have this sort of protection that those had in France. Well, as you know, conditions in in Russia deteriorated rapidly um, almost immediately after the war started because Russia was defeated at the Battle of Tannenberg in August 1914. Huge loss of life. Tens of thousands of Russians were taken prisoner. And the Russian army was not able to defeat the German army. It could defeat the Austrian army, but it couldn't defeat the German army. So quickly... The conditions in Russia deteriorated, there was a huge loss of manpower, there was uh, a large number of people taken prisoner, and Russia faced the same situation that Britain and France did, which is a great shortage of able-bodied men. Now, Russia had no colonies, its western borders were closed, because Germany and Austria can control the land and sea borders, the Baltic Sea and the land borders, and Turkey controlled the Black Sea. So Russia could not import any labor from the Western side. So the only place you could get workers from was China. So they started to import workers. But after they arrived, as I say, the conditions of life in in Russia deteriorated. There became shortages of everything. Uh, There was inflation. The transport system was never developed, and it was completely dedicated to military equipment and people. So it was very difficult to move non-military people and goods around. So the Chinese were at the bottom of the, the ladder. So they uh, suffered greatly from these um, bad conditions. And so their situation was much worse than that of their brothers in France. How
0: did they get to Russia? By train?
1: Well, yes, of course, there was a train system. So they boarded the train in Harbin, and the train in Harbin took them to the Trans-Siberian Railway, and the Trans-Siberian Railway then took them across Russia. And they worked in all parts of Russia. They worked in Mamansk, uh, in, in the Arctic. They worked in Ukraine, the places where the fighting is going on now, in the coal mines and steel mills in southeast Ukraine. They, uh, many of them were cutting trees uh, in, in central Russia. They worked in factories in St. Petersburg and uh, Moscow. And also, they were recruited for the Eastern Front. And again, this should not have happened. The contract said they would not be involved in war-related work. But uh, the, the Russian army needed labor, just like the British and the French armies did. So some of them ended up working on the front with the Russian army. And the front in the east was quite different to the front in the west, in that the front kept changing. So... The the Germans would attack, they would win, they would capture 10,000 Russian soldiers, and then, of course, they captured the Chinese who were with them. So the Chinese ended up in German and Austrian prisoner war camps uh, together with their Russian masters.
0: So what would happen to them there? They would just stay there for the remainder of the war?
1: Well, they stayed there, and the conditions there were very, very harsh, as you know, and they had to do labour as long... uh, as did the Russian soldiers, and if they were lucky, they survived. And as you know, the, the war in Russia ended because the uh, communists took power and made a peace treaty with with, with Germany and made this extraordinary compromise I and mean, gave up huge amounts of Russian territory. So actually, that was good for the Chinese workers because the war ended sooner than it did in the West. And those that were still the surviving were able to come back to Russia with the Russian sh- soldiers.
0: It does sound very harsh, just generally. I mean, when you say Mamansk up near the Arctic, I just have this impression. I mean, obviously, if uh, a lot of these Chinese came from northern China, they were used to harsh temperatures. But still, I, I have this impression that, that Russia would have also, it would have been harsh working conditions. Also, what would the, the f- uh, food availability have been like?
1: Well, can I talk a little about Murmansk? Because the Russian borders to the west were all closed off um, and Russia was industrially far behind Germany, it greatly needed war material from the west. But where could the west deliver it? Because the Baltic Sea was controlled by the German navy. So the uh, Tsar said that we need a railway from St. Petersburg to Murmansk and it's about 1,400 kilometres. So this railway was built as a matter of national urgency and the largest number of workers were German and Austrian prisoners of war, there were also Russian uh, citizens, but there were 10,000 Chinese also on this railway and this was built 24 hours a day it took 20 months and exactly your point, the working conditions I mean you couldn't imagine a worse place, the winter temperature would be minus 20 for two months in the Nearly two months in the winter, there's no sunlight, but they're working 24 hours a day, so it's, it's completely dark. And the landscape is, is empty. I mean, there's no materials from the landscape except uh, trees. So the, the Chinese and other workers were, were building this railway under enormous pressure from the government. And um, the food supply was very poor, it got worse and worse as the line was built. Many of the Chinese were not properly clothed, and they lived in these huts that moved as the railway was being built. So many of the workers, including the Chinese, died during the construction of this railway.
0: How tragic! Yes. Um, and in terms of, um, you were mentioning. I'm jumping ahead slightly, but after the um, after the communist revolution in in Russia, what or with the Soviet Union, what would have happened? To the Chinese then, I mean, these Chinese laborers who had been brought over for the the war effort, but also to work in factories and, as you say, on this Mamansk railway line, um, did they all return to China?
1: Well, this is a very good question because the communists uh, took over and then made peace with Germany. So, in theory, all the Chinese should return to China because the war was over. But, as you know, there was then a civil war in Russia. Uh, the white Russians, aided by the Western powers and Japan, uh, attacked the new uh, communist state, and we had this horrific civil war for five years. So the Chinese were caught in the middle of this civil war, and the civil war meant that the transport system was being used by one side or the other, and there was no space you know, for you know, innocent Chinese to use it. So it was extremely difficult for them to get back to China. And the most remarkable part of this story is that an estimated 40,000 Chinese joined the Red Army to fight against the white Russians. And what's most remarkable is that this is, this is a war between Russians, Russians fighting Russians. It's not doesn't concern China. But uh, for various reasons, these Chinese decided that they wanted to, to fight with the, 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 the Red Army. And uh, they fought with great heroism. They fought in many different battles. And uh, I think it's, it's, it's an extraordinary part of history. I mean, in the American Civil War, did we find uh, Italians or, or Spanish fighting on one side or the other? No, we didn't.
0: Yeah, it's very interesting. So this wasn't just... A, I mean, was this, for some, though, just about getting a day pay? Or would they have believed in the cause or would they have had russian compatriots that became friends
1: well i think all those reasons i think for a certain number they were inspired by the bolshevik ideology that they were representing not only the 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 poor the farmer the 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 underprivileged of russia but of the whole world and they were very inspired by this ideology so that would be some of them uh, I think another group, perhaps the majority, would be what you said, which is if you join the Red Army, you get properly closed, you get three meals a day, you get a proper place to live, and you get a kind of respect that you never had before, and you were organised, you know, you'd been in a, in a brigade, in a group, you'd then have the means to, to be able to get back.
0: For the families back in Shandong province and other areas of northern China, if a, a large number of these workers were illiterate when they left, um, then... For many, was it a case of they didn't hear from their family members for years? And for many, they perhaps didn't know where they ended up or even if they were dead.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, the ones in France and Belgium is different because uh, they were under the protection of the French and and the British armies. So you could write letters. I mean, the letters are all censored. They'd be very, very simple. But at least you get something. But in Russia, the situation was quite different. The, the the situation in Russia became extremely chaotic. I mean, the, the normal society broke down. So not only were the workers mainly illiterate, but if you posted a letter, would it arrive? Was there any means to carry it from Moscow to, to, to Shandong? I don't, don't think there was. So you're right, I think their families at home wouldn't know if they were still alive, when they would come back, what was their condition. They would just have to wait.
0: In France, Belgium and Russia, are there, were these all migrant labourers who went and then came back bar those that joined the Red Army? Or are there situations where people uh, married locals and settled down for a new life in France, Belgium or elsewhere?
1: Well, no, just... I mean, the ones that joined the Red Army had to come back after Stalin took over because he wanted all the foreigners to leave. Now, so the ones in Russia came back. The... Ones hired by the British all came back because the British trade union movement was very insistent on this point because Chinese are extremely diligent, they don't go on strike.
0: Do they have tea breaks in the same way?
1: No, I don't think they have tea (laughs) breaks and they work for less than British workers. So the British trade unions insisted that they all be repatriated. But the the situation in France was different. The, the, The loss of French manpower was proportionally higher than in the UK. So France had a terrible shortage of men in in 1918. So France gave the workers the option to stay. So 3,000 of them decided to stay. And they became what is the start of what is now a huge and and, and, and booming Chinese community in Europe. So they worked in restaurants, in laundrettes, in farms in mines in factories and some of them yes married french ladies because as you will appreciate at this time there was a huge shortage of husbands for french for french women so you'll read in my book some very nice stories um for instance there was one lady that came to to meet one of these Chinese intellectuals who spoke french and said she wanted to marry one of the workers. And the intellectual said, well, you, you, are you sure you want to do this? You know, Are you prepared to go and live in Shandong? And, you know, uh, you know a cross-cultural marriage in those days was quite a big, a big thing. And the lady said, yes, but if I marry a French man, he'll, he'll drink all the money and he'll beat me regularly, whereas my Chinese boyfriend won't do that. He doesn't drink and he doesn't beat me. So there were marriages between the two. Now, if the couple came back to China, I think the marriage didn't work because the rural society of Shandong (coughs) could not accept a a French wife. So I think she would stay for some time and then she returned to France. But if the couple stayed in France, the situation was different. And there are many cases where it was a very happy marriage. There were many children. They were married for a long time and the man became well integrated into French society. And there was one famous case of a man who joined the the French army in the Second World War, was highly decorated, and became a a hero of the city that he lived in.
0: My thanks to Mark O'Neill, talking there on the Chinese labourers who went to Russia during the First World War. And you can read more in his book, From the Tsar's Railway to the Red Army.
1: Thanks for listening, and join me next week on Hong Kong Heritage.